Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices, Past and Present. Brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, www.ihconvention.com. The sermon on the podcast today is by R.G. Flexen, and it's from 1975, entitled, If Ye Deal Kindly, I Know You're Going to Enjoy This Wonderful Sermon. Certainly appreciate all the older folks that are in the audience. I also appreciate some children here tonight. You know, after being in missionary work for 23 years, where we deal with children, young people quite a lot, because the older people are so steeped in their superstition and sin, it's hard to reach them. And come back to America and go in some homeless churches and hardly find a young person or a child. And I said to the parents sometimes, where are your children? Well, they said, we don't bring them to church anymore because they don't understand. But they understand a lot more than you and I think they do. I think of down in Mexico, we're having a testimony meeting. One little fellow, six years of age, got up to testify and said, Bless God, friends. I'm happy to tell you I've been serving the Lord from my youth up. We ought to get them in, get them to God before the devil wrecks their lives. Then I'm certainly happy for the young people in this convention. It speaks well for the future of this convention to see so many young people here. I'd come prepared to speak to you and give you a challenge on personal soul winning. But after the morning message, I saw that it was not necessary for me to speak any farther on it because our brother certainly covered the ground so well. I wouldn't want to step in after that kind of a message. But as I've been praying, I felt God directing me to speak to the young people here. Now, you older folks can get what you can out of it, but the message will largely be beamed to the young people tonight. But shall we stand while we read the word of the Lord? How to respect for the book. I'm reading to you from 2 Timothy, the third chapter, beginning to read at verse 1. 2 Timothy, the third chapter, beginning at verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blaspheming, Femers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. 
We thank thee, Lord, for thy felt presence in our midst tonight. So somehow we ask thee that thou would keep the atmosphere clear as we attempt to bring this message that thou hast laid upon our heart. Speak to every soul that's in divine presence. Grant, Lord, that if there are those here that are just saved but unsanctified, may this be the night when they'll plunge into the fountain. They made every hold. If there's a backslider here or someone that's in confusion about the relationship with God, get them out of it tonight. Give us victory in this service like God knows victory. And we'll praise thee for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for text tonight, I'm calling your attention, verse found in Genesis, the 24th chapter, and the 49th verse. And now, if he will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. If you are familiar with your Bibles, you know this text is relative to the time when Abraham called his chief servant, Eliezer, made him promise that he would not take for his son Isaac a bride from the daughters of the Canaanites, but that he would cross the Arabian desert and there choose a bride for Isaac from among his own kindred. In this lesson tonight, we have a few types we need to keep in mind. In the first place here, Abraham is a type of God the Father. Isaac the son is a type of Jesus Christ. Eliezer the servant is a type of the Holy Ghost. Rebecca, the girl that Eliezer found and took back for Isaac, is a type of the bride of Jesus Christ. But notice, if you will, that just as Abraham called his servant and sent him forth on a special mission, so God has sent the Holy Ghost into this world on a special mission. Then we notice that as Eliezer journeyed, he kept praying. If you read his prayer, the burden of it was that he might speedily accomplish that which he had been sent forth to accomplish. As the Holy Ghost journeys through the world tonight, he's making intercession with groanings which cannot be uttered. If we can understand the burden of his prayer, no doubt is that he might speedily accomplish that which he's been sent forth to accomplish. And then we notice that as Eliezer journeyed, he had but one object in view. That was to get a bride for Isaac. And as the Holy Ghost journeys tonight, he has but one object in view. That is to get a bride for Jesus Christ. But some people ask, is not the coming of the Holy Ghost or the purpose of his coming the conversion of the entire world? If that is so, then his coming is an absolute failure. The latest statistics show that 75% of the world's population has never yet heard one gospel message. So if his coming was the conversion of the entire world, I repeat, 
His coming was an absolute failure. But Simeon said he did not come to convert the entire world, but he came to get out from the Gentiles a people for his name's sake. That people will be the bride of Jesus Christ. What we find tonight, the people say it's not the world getting better and better. Will it not continue to get better and better until Jesus will want to come set up his kingdom and tabernacle with men? Not if the Bible's true. For Jesus himself said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Well, how was it in the days of Noah? Just two things, as many things we might notice, but just two. In the days of Noah, they had a religion or a religious culture without any God. In America today, we have a religious culture without any God. And then they had a religion without any blood. And today we find that we have so much religion in America without any blood. But thank God I'm glad for the blood tonight. And I'm glad I can still get blessed while I'm singing there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Then as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Well, how was it in the days of Lot? The days of Lot, God had to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And because of their homosexuality. But America tonight has sunk deeper in homosexuality than Sodom and Gomorrah ever sank. And why God does not deal with America, unless it's because we're living in a day of grace and mercy. For God would certainly blot America off the face of the earth because of her immoralities. Then my text tells us that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. That's not only a picture of the world given here, but this is a picture of the church. The church loves pleasure more than they love God. And in many places they can hardly have a meeting without having some kind of a feast, something to eat. Why? Because they want pleasure. They want fellowship around the dinner table. But I'd rather have fellowship around the cross of Jesus Christ than around the supper table. At I time I could go into that tonight, but as Brother M we speaking on it tomorrow morning, I'll pass on from that. But I notice that some people say, well, I just do not believe that he's coming. If you will not listen to the word of God, and if you will not listen to the signs of the times that certainly should awaken any of us, then would you at least accept some statements from world thinkers? Perhaps not Christians as you and I know Christians, but nevertheless we're great thinkers. 
I think of Woodrow Wilson, a former president of the United States, just before he died, made this statement. The world is sitting on the edge of a volcano. If that were so in his day, it's certainly more so in the day in which you and I live. Just before Winston Churchill died, he made this statement. Beware, I say, time may be short. Harry Emerson Fosdick, so I disagree thoroughly with his theology, for he denied the virgin birth and denies the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I thoroughly believe in both of them. But nevertheless, he was a great thinker. He said the hour's going late. We are at the doorstep of doom. Going to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on a train, had to change trains in that depot, and I purchased a morning paper and read in that paper these words. Management of the world, human management of the world has failed. And it certainly looks like it has. Ruth Tarkington, the literary man of Indianapolis, who just before he died made this statement, was published in the Indianapolis Star. It is time to be afraid. When you stop to realize that the scientists who created the atomic and the hydrogen bomb tell us it's two minutes to twelve in the history of the world civilization as you and I know them. Don't you think we ought to get our eyes on the eastern skies? Get on our tiptoe and be looking for his arrival? Just a few years ago, wife and I were down in Florida holding some revivals. They're launching that missile that was the first one to land on the moon. Wife and I went to see the launching. They said the next day they're going to have another launching. And we stayed over for the second launching. Between the two launchings, the businessmen of Cape Kennedy were having a luncheon. The speaker for the luncheon was the second man in command of our space program in its inception. And they invited me to come here, and I was in that section. They asked me to attend the luncheon. I did. That man spoke to us a little while on the atom and what the scientists could do with the atom. Then turned on that group of businessmen and said, gentlemen, whether you accept it or not, there's some more born-again Christians in the space program of our country, and I'm one of them. He said, I know I've been born again. And he said, we scientists that have been born again are seeing things take place out there in space that you laymen know nothing about. That's just a proof to us that the coming of Jesus is right at hand. Then he turned on that crowd of men. He said, gentlemen, if you're not ready for his coming, I would advise you to get ready and get ready now. That wasn't a two-by-four, a howling, wholeness preacher trying to warn men. That's one of the greatest scientists in the world trying to warn men to get ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. My friends, tonight, are you ready for his coming? If the trumpet were to sound tonight, are you ready to go out? I know that the outlook is awfully dark in the world, but thank God the uproar is tremendously bright. We're not looking for things to get any better until he comes. 
straightens out things and thank God he's going to come. The bride is being made up. The last one might get in at this altar tonight or if we have an altar service, the last one might get in. If they should, the trouble will sound immediately. The saints of God will be caught up to meet Jesus in the air and we'll finish this convention riding on the trub of the treetops. Praise the Lord. I'm looking for him tonight. I'm expecting him to arrive any second. He is making up his bride. Regardless of whether we think so or not, he said, I will fill my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But then I see Eliezer cross the Arabian desert. He came to a well. He stopped at that well, began to pray, said, Lord, if thou hast prospered my journey, grant that the girl who comes out first and goes down the well and draws the water for the thirsty camels will be the one that I'll take back from my master's son Isaac. He'd hardly finished his prayer until Rebecca came out with a little earthen pitcher went down in the well, and I've been down some of those eastern wells. You have to go down many steps sometimes to get to the water brink. This was one of that kind. She got a pitcher filled with water, and when she came up, Eliezer said, give me to drink. She let the pitcher down on her hand, gave him to drink. Then without him even asking her to do it, she said, I'll water the camels also. That's a picture of the bride of Jesus Christ on the job, drawing water from the wells of salvation to water the thirsty people around the country. Do you say, I want to go when Jesus comes, but are you drawing water to water the thirsty people around where you live? And after she watered the camels, Eliezer made himself known. She ran down home and told her parents and brother Levin that the servant of Abraham was out the well. And her brother Levin ran out, said, come on down to our house. Everything's fixed up. We want you to stay with us while you're in this section of the country. And down he went. And as soon as he arrived, he began to make his errand known. What do we need around the places where we live? Not better singing, that certainly would be a hard to get. Measured with what we've been having in this convention. Not better preaching, though that might be easy to get as far as I'm concerned. But we need more people that would take the Holy Ghost home with them. And if you'll invite him to go home with you, he'll soon make his errand known. He said, I'm the servant of Abraham. My master's the richest man in all the country of Palestine. He owns more sheep and more cattle and more oxen than any other man in the country. And one day when he got rid of Lot and his tribe, and it's a good day when you get rid of some of your relatives. And I got rid of Lot and his tribe. The Lord took him up on a high mountain, said, look eastward and westward, northward and southward. And everything you see, I'm going to give it to you and to your posterity after you. And I've come to get, get a bride for my master, son Isaac, and the girl that's willing to go with me and marry my master, son Isaac, will become an equal heir with him to all the country of Palestine. 
She'd have been a fool if she hadn't said yes. She's just a little sheep tender out there on the Chaldean flames, but now has the opportunity of marrying the son of the richest man in the country of Palestine and becoming an equal heir with him to all the country. Friends, the world looks at us and says that we are fools. They call us all kinds of things. Say we don't even have sense enough to come in out of the rain. But thank God we have sense enough to know a good bargain when we see it. And exchange a lot of old filthy, selfish, righteous rags for robe of salvation that's one washed in the blood of the Lamb. And then he said to her, Will you go? Or, or whether he said, Boys, bring in the saddlebags. They brought in the saddlebags from the camels. He took out beautiful silk garments and jewels and bracelets and rings and beads and placed them down at the feet of Rebecca. Said, These are just the earnest of the beginning of what you'll get if you go with me and marry my master, son Isaac. I hear somebody say, but preacher, I thought the homeless people didn't wear such stuff. But the Old Testament saints wore on the outside is just a type of what we wear on the inside. Thank God when you get all dressed up on the inside, you don't have to have that stuff tacked on the outside. Praise the Lord. You just don't want it. There's no desire for it in your heart. But then he said, will you go, will you not go? She said, you'll have to ask my parents. And when she when he asked the parents, they said it's an individual matter. She'll have to answer for herself. My friends, when you and I go with God, it's an individual proposition. Thank God, sister, you can go with your husband goes or not. And husband, you can go whether your wife goes or not. And thank God, young folks, you can go whether your parents go or not. If you'll say one eternal, I will to God, he'll hook all of heaven onto you and take you through if you want to go through. It's an individual proposition. But for her to say, I will, meant something. In the first place, it meant she'd have to say goodbye to her reputation. For her to travel 900 miles across the Arabian desert with a group of men and just three maids, and that's all she had. She would have been talked about in the community she'd gone from. And my friends, when you and I take the old-fashioned way of wholeness, we're going to be talked about in the community. They'll run down our reputation. But I'm glad there's a difference between my reputation and my character. You can throw mud on my reputation, but thank God you can't make a stick on my character. Yea, man, you can ruin my reputation, but my character's been built on the blood of Jesus Christ. You cannot ruin my character. But he said, Rebecca, will you go or will you not go? She said, I will go, and that's all there is to it. Thank God if right while I'm preaching, you'll say one eternal, I will to God. By faith, you can have the victory right while I'm preaching. You don't even have to come to a mourner's bench and get it right now. You'll say one eternal, I will to God by faith. But will you go, will you not go? She said, I will go. He said, all right. 
bringing that camel, that special camel that we brought across the desert to take Rebecca back on. But remember, she'd have to say goodbye to her parents, goodbye to her brother, goodbye to every friend she had in the world, never look in their faces again. We cry because we have to give up a few little trinkets of this whole world. But friends, when you take the way with God, you may have to say goodbye to every friend you have on earth, every relative you have in the world. But thank God if you're ready to do it, he's able to take you through. Would you allow me to give some of my experience along this line for the young folks here tonight? When I was a boy of six years of age, living in Bridgeton, New Jersey with my parents, I went home one night from school, ran in the house to my school book, carelessly on the dining room table. But over there in the corner, there was a warm, warm iron on an ironing board. My precious mother was lying at the base of that ironing board, unconscious. I ran over and put my hands on her and began to scream. Neighbors hearing the screams came in, put mother to bed. And then they called for my father and the doctor. And when they arrived, the doctor diagnosed mother's case, turned to my father and said, you'll have to send some of the children away from home. Your wife is too ill to stand the noise. Six of us at home at that time. Father bundled up three of us, a sister, ten, a brother, eight, and I was only six. Sent us 20 miles out in the country to grandmothers. We'd been there just a week when my sister received a telegram. It said, your mother's dead. We're bringing that town for burial, staying the time they arrive on the train. I can see we three little tots now on the station platforms, the death train pulled in. They're taking mother's body from the baggage car and placing it on the platform of the depot. My father stepped from the coach and picked me up in his arms as I was the smallest and youngest. He said later, the first thing I said to him was this, Father, was my mother a Christian? Did my mother go to heaven? He said, yes, son, the last words I heard your mother say were these. I'm sweeping through the gates, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Bring the children with you when you come. I followed that precious burden the cemetery. As I looked down the old cold hole, seen my heart would break. I didn't know what's going to mean to be brought up without a mother's love, or a mother's kindness, or a mother's embrace. I've had everything else in life but that. But as I looked in the old cold hole, with an aching, breaking heart, a voice come from heaven said, Son, don't look that way. I'm not there. Look this way. And I looked up. That morning was begotten in my heart a, go, a desire to go to heaven. And thank God the fullest heaven were tonight. I've never gotten over that desire. But just three months later, I found my way to an altar prayer little mission hall. Prayed through and found God at the age of six. So don't tell me children cannot find God early in life. Thank God they can. I found God at six. I've never drifted away from God since that time. If I live until the 30th day of next month, I will have lived for Jesus Christ 73 years in victory. 
Yea, man, come on, young folks, if God can keep me, God can keep you if you'll let him. Thank God for the keeping power and the grace of God, as well as the saving power. I joined the church when I was so small that the preacher had to hold me up in his arms for people to see who was joining. And I've been it ever since. Thank God, young folks, you don't have to run with the world to have a good time. You can have a good time living for Jesus Christ. Amen. I challenge you tonight. You can have a good time living for Jesus Christ. Are you ready to mind him? But I went on living for God at the age of 13. Plowing the field with a team of horses. God spoke out of heaven called me to preach. I was so timid and backward and quiet. I didn't, I, I just wouldn't accept the call in. I didn't think I could do it. But at the age of 14, I heard my first homeless sermon. The first time I ever heard homeless, I went to the altar to get it. I've never seen the day in my life. But what I wanted, everything that Jesus purchased for me when he died on Calvary. But because of wrong instruction, I did not get it. At the age of 16, riding home from my father's church, for my father was a preacher, riding home on Sunday night with him and a buggy, I looked at him and said, Father, I believe God's called me to preach. He looked at me rather strange and said, Prove you have some ability to preach. And then I'll believe you're called to preach. My father didn't think I'd amount to much in anything in life, much less preach the gospel. Naturally, we rode home in silence. About three weeks later, my father came to me Saturday morning, said, I'm leaving my church tomorrow to go to another church to administer the sacrament. Would you fill my pulpit? I said, I'll do the best I can. Went to my father's pulpit and preached holiness. And I had us all to fish aboard the altar seeking the blessing. I didn't have it myself, but I had a good doctrine. God used the truth. Now, this isn't a story I'm not boasting. When he went back the next Sunday, they said, you better send the boy over. He does the job better than you do it. Father came home and said, I guess you're called to preach all right. But if you're going to preach, you're going to have to prepare for it. Now, he said, if you'll sign a contract with me, that you'll never leave our denomination. You'll stay with as long as you live. I'll put you through the University of Pennsylvania. I'll put you through Penn Seminary. And I'll pay the entire bill. Financially, my father was well able to do it at that time, but I looked at him as a boy of 16. I said, Father, tell me you used to preach homes. He said, I did. I said, I never heard you preach it. Why don't you preach it now? He said, because they pushed me the corner, gave me little charges and get bigger appointments, I stopped preaching homeless. I said, when you did, you backslid. Any man who wants to preach homeless and doesn't preach it now is a backslider, whether he's my father or your father. My father was a proud man. I come from a proud family like yours without a thing to be proud about. He straightened up and looked at me and said, what are your intentions? I said, I feel God wants me to join the little homeless church. 
and go to a Bible school in Greensboro, North Carolina. He said, when you join that little despised homeless crowd, we break relationships. Don't you ever call me a father again? And I'll never call you my son again. I looked at him and said, Father, mother's been dead for years. Now you're turning me down from my religion. But remember the Bible says when father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Before weeks of three sisters came, they said, are you joining that little despised homeless crowd? I said, I'll have to disobey God. They said, when you do, don't you ever call it your sisters again? We'll never recognize you as our brother again. I kissed them goodbye, but said, remember the book says, there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I believe you'll stick closer than a sister. I left her, turned down by every relative and friend I had in the world. I went to school, working seven hours, counting seven subjects, my health broke. I went back to my hometown, Westbrook, New Jersey, went to a specialist on lung trouble. And when I did, he said, one of your lungs is, is nearly gone. The other one's affected. You go home and I'll come and take care of you. He knew the family well, and I went and found my father out in the yard of our home. I told him what the doctor said. He said, will you leave that little despised homeless crowd? Stop preaching homeless. I said, I'd rather lie dying under the itch than to do it. He said, then go on. You can't come home unless you leave that crowd. I left my home again, living away. Some friends took me and put me to bed. The doctor came the next morning, the specialist. Then he brought a town doctor. They're coming twice a day. Four different kinds of medicine on my stand. I'm taking one kind every 24 hours of the day. But they're telling my friends I must die. Nothing in the world will save my life. But one Sunday afternoon, a man came in, prayed with me as he's leaving the door. He turned around and said, I believe you'll give God a chance that he can help you and heal your lungs. And walked out at eight o'clock Sunday night. I pushed the medicine back on my stand. I said, Jesus, the doctors have given me up. Will you take my case up? If you will, I'll never touch another drop of that medicine. For four days and four nights I suffered agony in my lungs. But thank God about eight o'clock on Thursday night, Dr. Jesus walked into my bedroom and touched my lungs. I got on a bed. My friend rushed in and said, you better go back to bed or you'll die. But thank God I'm very much alive tonight. When God does the work, he does it good. Thank God he did it good for me. Praise the Lord. I went back to school and finished up. And then went out and took a pastor. Finally, my father, after months, wrote me a letter. Said, I'd like to have a revival in my church. 
I'd like to have you for the evangelist. Will you come? Sign, Father. He said he never would, but thank God he did. I sat down and wrote back and said, I'll come any time you set the date. We got together on a date. I went to my father's pulpit. In my voice, steel, I didn't have a bit better sense of knowing that they hated homeless. But to take from my text the first one, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. And preach homeless days, and I know how to preach it. Praise the Lord. But before the meeting was over, three sisters were at the mourner's bench begging my forgiveness. They prayed through and found God. Two of them were shouting in the heavens tonight. The other's a member of a homeless church in the state of New Jersey. But my father stayed out the longest still. Led his own song service on Sunday morning. Sat on the front bench. If God ever helped a boy to preach to his own father, he did me that morning. Before I finished, father found his way to his own altar. Said, come here, son, I kneel in front of him. He put his arms around my neck. Said, son, I put my arms around his. He said, I'm so sorry I turned you aside back there and drove you away from home. Won't you please forgive me? I did it because I was backslidden, but I never would have driven you away from home. Thank God I forgave him. Father got back to victory that morning. Later on was sanctified under my ministry. Preached fullness under God took him to heaven. Thank God I go through the same thing for the same kind of results. We should pray. I'm getting so weak. I don't know whether I can finish the message or not. Doctor told me I should not come and should not try it. That I thought I would try it. But then Rebecca, will you go? Will you not go? She said, I will go. He said, boys, bring in that special camel that we brought across the desert to take Rebecca back on. So they brought in the camel. And when they did, Eliezer made the camel kneel and then lifted her up and placed her on the camel and said, now, Rebecca, all you have to do is just sit there and ride. Now do the rest. Thank God when you and I get saved and sanctified, God will place us on the old camel. All we have to do is just sit there and ride. What you say, I thought old time with Egypt was hard to live. It is friends when you and I try to carry the camel. That's an awful job. What do you mean by that? I mean you join some meeting house before you've been born again or sanctified holy and try to live for God before you have a change of heart through a change of nature. Thank God when you get a change of heart and a change of nature, the Holy Ghost will pick you up and place you on the old camel. All you have to do is just sit there and ride.
praise the Lord. Well, what's that camel a type of? A type of this old book. Oh, I'm so glad our brother brought out the thought last night. Young folks, you need to get settled on the book. It's not our nations or dry goods that God blesses. It's this old book. If you'll get on the book, he'll take you through. If you'll stay on the book. But preacher, won't you ever have any hard times? Try and see. They hadn't gone very far until they struck an old Arabian desert. You won't go very far with God until you strike a spiritual Arabian desert. Well, preacher, what shall I do then? Stay on the camel. Amen. Stay on the camel. Thank God he will stay on the camel. He'll take you through it. He'll stay on the camel. Stay on the book of God. Thank God he'll take you through. Let your notions of the book of God get on the book. And stay on the book. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Everybody praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm glad I'm on the camel. Amen. That's the riding across the desert. He thinks I see Ellie easily over and say, Rebecca, aren't you sorry you started? Don't you wish you're back home with Paul, Mom, Brother, Le Brother Le Laban? Isn't the sun shining too hot? The journey's too long? The oysters too far apart? Aren't you sorry you started? I see Rebecca lean over and say, Eliezer, if you'll stop talking about long journeys, the oysters far apart, and hot suns, and Brother Laban and Paul, Mom, and just keep talking about Isaac, it'll be all right. Amen. Come on, friends. Stop talking about your hard places. Stop talking about your trials. Stop talking about your difficulties. Stay on the old camel and talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus and thank God. He'll take you through if you just keep talking about Jesus. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. Keep